Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Is progressive Christianity another gospel? Welcome to the Impact 360 podcast. I'm really excited to welcome our guest, a good friend of Impact 360, I'm Elisa Childers, talking about her brand new book, Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about her background in a, in a minute as she shares some of her story, but you know, she blogs and writes and podcasts at elisachilders.com. We'll have links to that. She speaks, she teaches on this topic, and will offer some great clarity. She also happens to be down here right now teaching our Impact 360 fellows and our gap year. She speaks for us during the summer. She's written articles on progressive Christianity for our website at impact360.org. But um, Elisa, it's great to have you back with us. It's great to be with you, Jonathan, always. So so great to be here in person, too. I just I love coming to the campus here and getting to interact with the fellows and the students. It's, it's really a joy. Well, thanks. We love having you, and it's been fun to see you interact with the students, as always. And so we've talked about some of these things in different formats before, but not on the podcast yet. And so this book, Another Gospel, why, why did you write this book? And maybe share a little bit of your story in that. Yeah, I actually did not want to write this book. This is the book I did not want to write. I basically have a story where I went to a church that ended up going progressive. Uh, a few years later, they officially became a progressive Christian church. But when I was there, I was a part of a sort of inner circle study and discussion group that was involving the pastor and a few people from the church. And essentially, this pastor was uh, in a process of deconstruction where his the, the beliefs that he he'd held all his life were slowly being picked apart and discarded. And so in this class, we would have a class on, say, biblical reliability, but it wouldn't be from the perspective of like, here's some information that will show you that you can trust your Bible. It was actually all the skeptical uh, type of, of information that would actually lead you away from thinking that the Bible was reliable. So this was very confusing for me as a lifelong Christian to be in a Christian church with a Christian pastor in a Christian class that is essentially uh, coming against things like biblical reliability, just deep theological concepts that I'd believed my whole life, like the atonement. And so it it sent me into my own sort of time of doubt and deconstruction. And so when I came out of that, God God had used apologetics to help rebuild my faith over the course of several years. And when that process was over, I kind of just wanted to move on. I didn't really want to interact with that anymore. Uh, but I was encouraged to start a blog by a couple of, of, of apologists. And so through that process, it kind of led up to writing this book. But I, I said, it's like the book I didn't want to write because it just seemed so overwhelming at the time. But I'm I'm thankful that, that God gave me the opportunity to do it and actually <laughs> walked me through it so that I could do it. But hopefully my, my hope with the book is that anybody who finds themselves in a position like the one I was in, where I didn't find a lot of information about progressive Christianity at that time, maybe this will help them through their journey. And so if God can use me to help somebody else, then that's that's really thrilling and deeply satisfying. Yeah, and, and it's such a helpful book. I was honored to endorse it, and it's so really helpful in the ways that it kind of shares your story throughout, but it also kind of marks the different theological and apologetics themes, the questions, the deconstruction, all that stuff throughout, which is so helpful. You know, somebody may be listening, they're like, okay, I've, I've not heard the term progressive Christianity. 
progressive is a good thing, right? We want to be progressive, right? right? You know, I mean, kind of unpack a little bit about kind of a high level. What What is progressive Christianity? Yeah, you're right. So progress is generally viewed as a good word. You know, it's a it's got a positive connotation, but progress actually is a neutral word. You can progress toward falling off a cliff or you can progress toward life and, and health and healing. And so as Christians, yes, we want to progress in our faith. We want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the eternal truths of God. But there's a difference between us progressing in our faith and believing that those eternal truths of who God is are also progressing and changing. And so I think that's probably one of the biggest difference between what I would call historic Christianity and progressive Christianity. So it's hard to define it by doctrines because it, it's such a wide spectrum of belief. So it's possibly more helpful to look at it in this way. So historically speaking, Christians have looked at the people that were closest to Jesus, the eyewitnesses of us life, those who walked with him and talked with him, were commissioned by him, and the early church fathers who were discipled by some of those guys. These are the people who are going to be able to define what Christianity is. The, the ones closest to Jesus have the most authority as far as defining what the gospel message is, according to historic Christianity. But it's sort of flipped in progressive Christianity. So in progressive Christianity, they're going to look at those guys that were the closest to Jesus, the eyewitnesses of his life. And they'll say, rather than those being the authority, those are more like the representatives of Christianity in its infancy. So this is Christianity in its baby stage. It's just learning to crawl and walk. But as time goes on, as we evolve as people, as we learn more about God, we have a much fuller understanding about who Jesus is and God is than those apostles and disciples did. So that's probably the main difference that helps us understand why there's such a spectrum of beliefs, because you can kind of believe, you don't have to believe any particular thing to call yourself a progressive Christian. No, that, that's really helpful. And I know you've blogged on this in different ways, written articles around it. And so it's interesting, you know, parents or pastors, youth pastors may be familiar with students kind of growing up and maybe walking away from their faith or doubting it, maybe because of, say, hard atheism or skepticism on that side of the equation. But they've probably encountered kind of this erosion or deconstruction of maybe their kids' faith or people mm -hmm. that they knew in the youth group. And it's like, what happened? Maybe they went off to college, they went off, or they're in high school, or, or something happened. What happened? And so there's kind of this evangelistic atheism on one side of the new atheists, yes. the Dawkins, the Harris, all, all those people. But then there's also this one, which kind of comes from within mm. Christian circles a little bit. Mm -hmm. Talk about maybe kind of that phenomenon or maybe what's happening. I think you even mentioned kind of the, the new religion of, yeah, of progressive I, Christianity. So talk about kind of what you're seeing as you... Yeah. So this is such an interesting thing to observe as it happens, because even by the time my book came out, uh, there still were a lot of people who maybe hadn't heard of progressive Christianity. And the book just came out a few months ago. And e even since then, it just seems like there has been such a ramp up to this whole phenomenon of deconstruction. Uh, just in the last maybe two months, I've seen several websites pop up that not only are saying, hey, I've gone through this process of deconstruction, but I'm setting up a psychology practice to help you deconstruct. I will be your deconstruction guide. There are Instagram pages where uh, deconstructed Christians are starting podcasts and YouTube channels to help guide other people through their deconstruction. And not only that, but to advocate for deconstruction. This is something that you 
kind of need to do. This is part of your spiritual maturity is to go through this process. So it, the reason it, to me it's like this new religion is you have sort of the same people popping up on all the different podcasts. They're sort of the, I call them the rising stars of deconstruction. They advocate for all of these, the deconstruction of Christianity, but then they're definitely advocating for something to put in its place, which is going to focus really heavily on more like social justice issues, not really defined biblically, but more defined as culture would define yeah, those. Secular version Secular of version of that. Yeah. And so you even see some of the, uh, like the liturgist podcast, they do a Sunday thing. And it's just, a lot of it just feels very religious. There's definitely some dogma and some things you have to hold to. And you have leaders and the spiritual gurus kind of guiding you through the process. So yeah, it kind of seems like it's this emerging new religion for, for the, that's aimed at the next generation, it seems. And so, yeah. And so who might be some of those people like that are kind of, you're, you're seeing pop up everywhere that people may or may not know these names, but yeah. who are some of the people? Well, I, I would say, um, some of like John Steingart is an example and John's a friend of mine. He's a, he's a very nice guy. So I'm not dunking on him or, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, this is not meant to insult him, but we, you know, he, he was the former lead singer of the band Hawk Nelson Christian band. He went through deconstruction, which he talked about on Instagram. And now he's got this big platform on YouTube. Where he has all of these kind of rising stars on on his own platform. So we're looking at people like uh, Joe. I, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but I believe it's Loman or Lumen, and she advocates for deconstruction and progressive Christianity. And she's had a couple of viral posts, and so she kind of makes the rounds of the podcast. There are people like uh, Peter Rollins. Um, trying to think who else. Some of them I don't know their names. I've just seen their faces mm-hmm. a lot. There's a YouTube channel called God Is Gray. She's getting a lot of, I believe her name is Brenda, but I don't know her last name, but she's getting a lot of attention kind of going mm-hmm. on all these different podcasts to talk about various things from deconstruction to, uh, you know, shame versus conviction and all kinds mm-hmm. of different topics that are sort of redefined outside of the biblical parameters, but kind yeah. of becoming a dogma, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, and then and, and this community and then its own litur- liturgies uh, exactly. that go with it and everything yes. else. And so what are what are some of the things people may have heard the term deconstruction? Can you just give a quick definition of, of that is and maybe even distinguish when we were talking about this a little bit yesterday, how you might distinguish that even from doubt, like that somebody yeah, might have. Yeah. So deconstruction is you know, it's sort of something that's emerging right now as far as a spiritual practice. So you see people define it in different ways. And as best I can tell, it's essentially the systematic picking apart or pulling apart of your the religious beliefs you grew up with, often discarding those beliefs. And so that would be the kind of the broad definition, but there's, there's something underneath that, I think. And if we go back to the 1960s and the beginnings of postmodernism with guys like Jacques Derrida, French philosopher, who is really considered to be the father of deconstruction. And his whole thing was based on what really appears to be this relativism. So he he didn't believe that objective truth could be found through words. He didn't think words could be pinned down to singular and definite meanings. And so uh, there began this this sort of phenomenon of deconstruction of language. And I, I do think that's related with the deconstruction we see because very often it's seen as a virtue because it's based, I think, in relativism, the idea that if objective truth exists, it can't be known. Well, then you can see why it would actually be your responsibility to deconstruct the construct of truth you were given either by your parents or your religious institution or your region you grew up in. It's it's kind of 
part of maturing to deconstruct that and so that you can find out what your truth is so you can live your truth and i and i think those things are tied together and so we i i think that's different than doubt because that's actually based on relativism that's based on the idea that i can't know what's objectively true about something whereas doubt it seems to be more rooted in truth, honest doubt at least. You you believe something and then you doubt whether or not that's true. You look for evidence, you investigate to find out, is this really true? And if it's not, you discard it, but if it is, you keep it. And so I think that would be the main difference between yeah. doubt and deconstruction. And that's a mature and healthy, that doubt on the way to a stronger faith. Um, yeah. you know, when I wrote Questioning the Bible, you know, people are like, should we question the Bible? Well, it kind of depends on our posture, but yeah, God is open to questions. If you read the Bible, there's going to be questions. You're going to think about these things. So is it true? But then that deconstruction is a whole different yeah. kind of thing that's happening right now, this phenomenon. And so that's helpful. What would be some of the marks of maybe a pastor or a teaching that might advocate? What are the kind of beliefs that you might find in a progressive circle? Yeah. And that's a good question because before I did some pretty serious, intensive research on the movement by reading their books and listening to their podcasts, I would have just said, well, there's not really a lot of common theological beliefs, but you can look for certain signs. But since I did the research, a lot of things began to emerge. And what we see emerge is that on every sort of gospel point, there's a denial. There are some affirmations too, but largely it's a, it's characterized by the denial. So if we look at, you know, whatever theological words you want to use for this, sometimes we get in the weeds with the words, but the idea that God created humans and it was good, but then humans rebelled against him, introducing sin and evil into the world and death, and then passing that sin nature down to their children so that everybody, you know, the Bible says not even one is righteous. God looked and there's not one. So we're all sinners, basically. That's largely rejected in the progressive movement. They don't believe it's your sin that separates you from God. It's your shame. So you just need to realize how beloved you are and that you were never separated in the first place. And then that that can bring your relationship with God back together. So of course, if, if that's their view, the atonement, what are they going to do with the atonement? So very often the idea that God would require the blood sacrifice of his only son, this is viewed as cosmic child abuse or divine child mm-hmm. sacrifice. And so uh, that's largely rejected. The idea that Jesus is coming again is hmm. sort of a, a topic that's not really, if it is discussed, it's made into a metaphor. Well, Jesus' second coming is something that happens in your heart whenever you have a transcendent experience with God or something along those lines. And then, of course, heaven and hell, this is uh, something, the existence of hell is largely rejected, whether it's full-on universalism or some kind of universal reconciliation view. There's no concept in progressive Christianity that sinners will be uh, punished in hell uh, in any meaningful sense. So it's largely universalist in, in that way. So there really are a lot of denials. Now, the affirmations would be something like we see constant affirmation of same-sex marriage, LGBTQ, that would be like a core tenet of progressive Christianity, a major acceptance of critical theory and critical race theory, pitting people against each other as oppressed versus oppressor, and just kind of what we see in culture happening a lot, that's become largely informative in the progressive gospel. So those would be some of the denials and some of the affirmations that would characterize their beliefs. Yeah, and that's really helpful. And if you're listening to the podcast, we did a previous episode with Monique Desson for the Center for Biblical Unity, where we talked a little bit more about some of those issues around critical theory and some of those kind of things. But yeah, you know, it's one of the things that we're seeing, if you remove the core of the gospel, that it's the exclusive way to salvation, Mm -hmm. and you remove that as kind of the animating force 
for Christianity or for, for the movement, you've got to replace it with something. Yes. And yeah, I know you've, you've blogged on this before and kind of made some different comparisons between atheism and, and progressive Christianity in some different ways. But it almost seems like the social justice piece, secularly defined, mm-hmm. because, of course, God is for justice. We just need to define how that plays out. Mm-hmm. That becomes the animating force. That becomes the good news. Mm-hmm. That becomes yeah. the, that's, that's the go and do. Yeah. Is yeah. You need to do the work. It? you you got to do the work. You'll hear that phrase all the time, do the work. And part of doing the work is uh, you hear this idea of decolonizing our theology so often, which is really ironic because theological liberalism arose through a bunch of middle-aged white guys, you know? And, and so really what they're believing is very uh, modern and it's very Western. Whereas, you know, we can trace these ideas back to African theologians like Augustine. And of course, the nobody in Jesus' band of disciples was a European white man. So, right. you know, so so sometimes I think that gets used. But yeah, there's this, this idea that you have to do this work and essentially that's advocating for the right causes, saying the right things on social media, it can involve uh, just, you know, getting on these kind of secular social justice ideologies. And, and then you can feel like you're doing something good. You can feel like a good person and, and that you're representing Jesus on the earth. Yeah, and that's, and that's key because, you know, working with the next generation, working with Gen Z, obviously we want to do good. We want to, you know, yeah. love mercy and walk humbly with our God and do justice, biblically defined but I think there's just there's kind of this new religion, like you're talking about, of how to perform and earn, and yeah. it gets confusing because I think yeah. with a lot of people with just good intentions, they're wanting to do it, and they're like, you know, I'm going to downplay the theology and the careful thinking, and I'm just going to go try to help people. Yeah. And there's something about that, that, of course, that resonates with us as image bearers, right? But at the same time, we've got to have those the personal and the ideological come together for Christianity in mm-hmm. a, an important way in that. And so... You know, as you look out and see the landscape of progressive Christianity or parents in the church, what can the church and parents do? Maybe a couple of things. Um, maybe a mom and dad are listening. It's like, maybe I'm seeing a little bit of this in my son or daughter. Maybe I'm seeing a little bit of this in our youth group or something like that. What are some things they can do to help prepare their students well to yeah. navigate this? Yeah, and that's such a good question. And you know, I think some, there's so many different ways to approach this. And the temptation can be like, well, just give them a bunch of apologetics, you know, teach them why we believe what we believe. And that certainly is necessary. And yep. we've got to do that. That's so important. But I think there's also something to talking to your kids even about this process of deconstruction, like, hey, all these people are kind of waking up at 20, 30, even 40 years old going, hey, wait, I, I've never really questioned what I believe and what the kind of ideologies I was given. So almost an encouragement to our young people, give them a little space to make sure they construct their Christianity correctly and their beliefs. And that requires us to step back just a little bit sometimes, give them some time to think through things themselves, because we can give them the answers, but they need to come to those answers on their own. And so that's going to require patience and even a little bit of, you know, scary as a parent, if you love this kid, you want to just be like, believe this because it's right. And I already know it's true, but they have to go on that journey themselves. They have to discover that that's true for themselves. And so any way we can disciple them in that way and facilitate that journey, but also to give them the space to push back on some things and say, I don't know if I believe that and and to walk with them in that journey so that they make sure if they construct it properly, there's going to be nothing to deconstruct. 
Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful because constructing it well without all the caricatures and kind of the bad experiences yes. that they think is Christianity or that they think is the way things ought to happen. And then and then what, what happens sometimes is they'll reject the Christianity based on a bad experience or they'll it's like, well, this was a person with good theology and look how their life turned mm-hmm. out or this was a person, right? So there's... There's these objections kind of lurking in real yeah. life experiences that kind of or feeling like they have to have it all tied up with a pretty bow. Like mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to have every little doubt solved and every little question answered, which is is not reality for Christians. We all have lingering doubts. That's part of what it means by trusting in Jesus. We trust in Him, then we take those things to Him, and some we may never fully resolve in our own minds on this side of heaven. But you know, giving them the space to understand, like it's okay if there are things you're still wrestling through for the rest of your life. It's about trusting in Jesus and trusting what he said. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of misconceptions, I think. Yeah. And then starting even kind of that idea of concentric circles or certain core beliefs are more foundational than others and just helping them see that. Yeah, you know, it's like, very well, important. Well, look, you know, the, what is the gospel? Foundational. The nature of God? Foundational. What is God like? Has God spoken? Who is Jesus? Did he rise from the dead? You know, can, does truth exist? Can you know it? You know, some of those kind of things. And then the further you get out, you're like, okay, well, you know, I don't know what I believe about election, predestination, free will, or the age of the earth, or spiritual gifts. And it's like, there's ones that they can come to and and other questions uh, along the way as matters of discipleship. But that's where I think the space is important. That's one of the things we try to do um, in our programs at Impact 360 in terms of our summer or fellows is, hey, we're going to talk about all these things. We'll ask the questions. We'll bring in experts. We'll bring in people like yourself and others to challenge people to think deeply about this and give them space to think through because it's much better for them to try to strengthen those beliefs and construct that well here, like in in this season of life as a teenager in that regard, um, than have to go through that painful process Mm. of deconstruction later if it's avoidable. Sometimes it's not, you know, for whatever reason, part of their story, but um, if we can help them build, I think that makes all all the difference. Yeah. So what what and you know, as you look out right now, what what do you see as kind of the next, I guess, phase of this? Do you do you see it taking on a new direction or a new emphasis? Or, yeah. You know, I was just curious about what you see. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do actually see it taking on a different emphasis. If we go back to the emergent movement in the late 90s, early 2000s, which is still very much a part of progressive Christianity, it was very much focused on theology. It was like, you know, what do we think about rethinking things like the atonement, rethinking uh, even our theology of biblical sexuality. There was a lot of that kind of stuff. And then it sort of evolved to take on a little bit more of this postmodern type of uh, of expression where you see YouTube channels and TikToks and uh, podcasts arising that are coming from this really postmodern, live your truth. We've even by now in progressive Christianity, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says because those guys were just trying to figure God out anyway. And so, you know, it's, it doesn't really, we don't have to make the Bible reconcile with our beliefs. And then I'm seeing even now, just recently, even in the last few weeks to the last month, you see these TikToks and these YouTubes come out where it's almost like, in, in, and certainly not every progressive Christian would go along with this, but it seems like the people who are identifying themselves as progressive Christians are actually the ones, there was 
was just a TikTok where the guy basically said Jesus was a racist and he had to repent of his racism. There's another one that got a lot of attention where uh, the man's basically advocating for Wicca and some other pagan and occult stuff. And so we're even seeing it take on an even heavier emphasis on new age. There's a lot of new age thought. There's a lot of even outright occult and pagan thought that's being marketed as progressive Christianity, even impugning Jesus himself as a sinner. And so I I do see it, but that would be the nature of something that is progressive, right? It's progressing. It's going somewhere. It's not going to be rooted on some kind of bedrock truth that doesn't change. So it could go anywhere, but that's kind of where I see it going right now. And almost to where when I'll share some of these things with Christian audiences, they, they almost audibly gasp because they can't believe that there would be somebody who calls themselves a Christian who would be, you know, going through the rites of Wicca and calling herself a witch. But this, this is a reality in progressive Christianity today. Yeah. And it's so important. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing on this. You know, if you're listening to this right now and you want more resources on this, my conversation today is with Elisa Childers. Her book is Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. Also want to encourage you to check out some of the conversations we've had on GenZLab.com, where we've interviewed her and talked to others about these topics as well. Elisa's written some articles for us, um, and I'll ask her to share her resources in a minute. But if you're listening to this and you want to find a place where you can send your son or daughter to get some training on, on these topics around issues around what do they believe, why do they believe it, is there a community that they can grow in and, and construct this faith, that's really what we want to be at Impact 360, whether that's through Propel, Immersion, our fellows experience, whatever that might be. And so let us come alongside you. We'd love to. So you can learn more about all of that at impact360.org. But Elisa, you've got a lot of amazing stuff going on. Tell us more about where people can follow you and what you have going on and, and where's the best place to get access to some of your resources. Yeah, thank you. Uh, all Everything's linked at elisachilders.com. So you can find my blog there. You can find the podcast. Uh, just in the last year, I've launched a YouTube channel. I, I recognized how uh, YouTube is like the second most popular search engine. People go to YouTube for information. So we launched a YouTube channel, which has really kind of been gaining momentum and uh, been sort of a fun way to interact with the audience and and let people know some of this information. And so I'm thankful for that. So yeah, just at Elisa Childers on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm not on Twitter anymore, by the grace of God. <laughs> but, you just said but no, huh? I just, I just said I'm done. I know more Twitter. But yeah, so I'm still on Instagram and Facebook and uh, YouTube. Well, that's great. Well, yeah, and I'd encourage listeners to to check that out. Great resources. And, you know, as you're listening to this, you know, we need more courage and more discernment. And, um, and this stuff is true. What we believe is true. Um, it'll stand the test of time, but we also, you know, that's why there's warnings in the New Testament to make sure that, you know, Paul in Colossians 2, he says, you know, don't let people take you captive by hollow philosophy, not rooted in Christ, ultimately, and how these ideas can seep into different things. So we've got to think well about these things. And that's why I'm so grateful for, Elisa, your ministry and what you've done and what you're doing. So thanks for joining us today and really appreciate you investing in our students. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much for having me. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live. Live.